traditional sense. Um, and by traditional sense, I mean kind of this idea of give us your kids uh, and your teenagers and we'll have lots of events and programs and whip them into shape. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, this morning we're going to talk about how we, as parents and as the church, um, can work towards raising a generation of teenagers and children that are passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, because that is what youth ministry and children's ministry is supposed to do anyway. So in reflecting over this particular topic over the last few years, um, there's a, a book by Dr. Richard Ross called Youth Ministry That Lasts a Lifetime that's been really influential to me. Um, he's a professor of student ministry at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary um, and, and has been doing youth ministry for several decades and knows what he's talking about. Um, and so it's, it's a book that I've leaned heavily on when, when looking at these kind of things. Uh, but I also want to acknowledge that there is not a biblical model of youth ministry in that there is no biblical mandate for age-based programming or anything like that, but there is a biblical model for raising up the next generation. Um, and, and ultimately, like I said, that's what youth and children's ministry is about. And so, um, this morning we're going to talk about parents' role, and we're going to talk about the church's role. Uh, that's two things that, that we're going to look at. So turn with me to begin with Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Ms. Sharon was also kind enough to put that in the, in the bulletin. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm, I'm going I'm to read verses 4 through 7. Good thing about like physical Bibles instead of digital is I can hear the page, hear the page turn. I know when everybody's there. Chapter six, verse four says, "Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Your verse, uh, your version might say, teach them diligently to your children." Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So here God delivers the primary commandment to the Israelites. The primary commandment to the Israelites. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Right, The primary commandment, and then God delivers the primary means by which this commandment is passed down. Teach this to your children. So, hands down, with no debate, this isn't something that we have to discuss. It's very clear that the first line of raising up the next generation is parents. Uh, the primary burden of raising up the next generation falls on parents. So, as parents, we encourage our kids to be involved in church. We encourage our kids to take part in Bible studies. We encourage our kids to build relationships with their peers and with adults at church. But we never abdicate the full and final responsibility of the spiritual development of our own children to other people, like a pastor or a youth minister or a children's minister. Uh, it is first and foremost our responsibility. Um, 
in Dr. Ross's book, he, he provides several examples of research uh, that has looked at the influence of parents on their kids. So rather than read all of that, uh, I'm going to read one statement that uh, really is a summation of all of what this research has found, is that the evidence clearly shows that the single most important social influence on the religious and spiritual lives of adolescents is their parents. Um, I think a lot of I think a lot of parents think that like well their kids have too much influence in their school, uh, but research oh, time and time and time again has found every time that parents still have the biggest impact over over their kids above uh, over and above any other arena. So going forward, knowing that we have that impact, uh, especially those of you with teenagers, maybe that can be encouraging to hear that. Uh, that your, that your kids actually, even though they might not seem like they're listening, they are. Um, how, can we, how can we disciple our kids well? How can we make sure that we're living up to this responsibility that God has entrusted to us? Um, possibly the most important question we have to answer as parents. So the first one is simple, and that's our own spiritual health. Um, the single best thing that Mickey can do for our church is take care of his spiritual health. If he is spiritually healthy, then that flows out into his ministry. The single best thing I can do as a youth minister is take care of my own spiritual health. If I'm spiritually healthy, that flows out into ministry. The single best thing we can do as parents is to take care of our own spiritual health. Because if we as parents are spiritually healthy, then that flows into our parenting, both in the way that we parent and in what our kids see modeled in us. So our own spiritual health. Next, support the church. And what I mean by this is to be involved in the life of the local church. Uh, when, their kids, when our kids see parents serving in church, uh, then it communicates, them, communicates to them, hey, it's important to serve in church. Uh, when kids see their parents taking part in Sunday school, prayer service, yearly time of prayer and fasting, uh, things of that nature, it communicates to them these things are important. Kids learn by modeling. Uh, we, you don't have to like teach your kids to speak, right? They pick it up. They model it. Um, during the worship service, like even if a, if a kid uh, is not able to fully grasp what's being preached, uh, and I'm talking like small children, not necessarily older teenagers, um, seeing their parents with their Bibles open, paying attention, communicates something to them. Uh, so at three, Bexley very obviously isn't going to be able to, to sit through a 45-minute sermon. Um, she can't sit through 45 minutes of anything. Uh, but if you'll look around, you'll notice that not just us, but um, the majority of parents with very young kids, we have our kids in here during the, the singing time, what many call the worship. We call the singing time because this is all worship. Um, and, and she can't read the words yet. Uh, she knows a few lines from some of the songs, um, but what's happening is that it's communicating to these to these young kids from a very early age uh, that it's important for God's people to gather together and worship together. Um, we can't underestimate the influence of what kids see the church doing, even if they don't fully understand it yet. Um, and here's here's one for some reason, tends to, to ruffle feathers. I don't, I don't know why it does, but it does. Uh, and that is Sunday mornings. 
Um, Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. said Hebrews 10, many of you know where I'm going with this. Hebrews 10, starting in verses 24, verse 24, I'm going to read 24 and 25. says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting together together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. So do not neglect gathering together as the body of Christ. That is not an optional like, yeah, it would be good if you did. That is a command. Um, and also, obviously, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I firmly believe that remembering the Sabbath day means a whole lot more than go to church on Sunday. Um, but I think it also means, at the very least, to go to church on Sunday and gather with God's people. Uh, I'm going to read directly from Dr. Ross's book so that we can hear it not from me, uh, but from an old man who has been doing ministry for decades. Uh, He writes this in his book. If parents allow a teenager to skip worship on Sunday morning to participate in some activity or competition, they have communicated their true priorities to the teenager. The same is true if parents allow a teenager to take a job that requires Sunday morning work or they allow him to sleep in after a hard week. Those actions and decisions will make a more lasting impression than what parents try to teach about priorities. So I get that things come up uh, and that for for many families, the weekend is the only time that, that you have to do anything together. But uh, if skipping church for other things is a regular occurrence, then what we're teaching our kids, what's being communicated to our kids, and no one would say that they're trying to do this, but what's being communicated, whether we mean to or not, is we go to church when we don't have anything better to do. We go to church when we don't have anything else going on. If there's not this to do or that to do or that to do, then we go to church. And I think that's a a dangerous precedent. Um, And, and, for whatever reason, that it upsets people to talk about that, uh, but I think sometimes we get the most upset about the things that um, maybe hit us the hardest. Um, I want to give two examples on this point that I think illustrates a couple of different ways that people think about this. Uh, one is myself. So my last couple of years of high school, I wanted to do no- I, I wanted nothing to do with church. Um, didn't want to be there. Like my dad was the pastor. Uh, I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was there every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. Uh, Part of it was I was, even in my maturity, was mature enough to have the respect for my dad to say he's the pastor, I'm going to be at church. Um, But it also was not a choice for me. I didn't have a choice. Uh, Like I grew up, in fact, I don't remember ever asking my dad if I could skip church on Sunday because I knew what the answer was. Like it was a dumb question to ask. Um, and if I wasn't forced to go to church, I still would have wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I was going to hate it either way. So I might as well be there hearing the truth. Um, and I'd, I'd say it turned out all right. Uh, and looking back, I have the utmost respect for my parents for forcing the issue. And, and it was building a foundation that I would 
rely on several years later when, when the Lord woke me out of my stupor. Uh, and it didn't push me away like so many parents think it will. A, a common argument is, well, if I make my kids go to church, then they're going to hate it. Uh, but they hate it anyway, right? You might as well, you might as well make them go. The second, um, the second is Bree Cober. Uh, she told me this a few months ago, and I said, I'm putting that in the, in the back pocket for later. Uh, so like many teenagers, Bree grew up in church. Um, if I mess this story up, you can just stand up and correct it. It's fine. Uh, Bree grew up in church, and as she got older, she got more and more involved in sports. Uh, eventually, she was playing on travel teams. She was going to softball tournaments on weekends instead of church. Um, and now what I've heard a lot of youth ministers say is just to try to like plead with kids. It'd be like, you have a 2% chance of getting a scholarship to play uh, sports in college. 100% chance of answering to God what's more important, right? Uh, which for some kids works maybe. But Bree is the 2%. In fact, Bree is probably less than the 2% because all of her hard work in high school paid off and she got a scholarship to pitch at the Division I level. Um, so Bree is a very small exception to the rule. Um, and to this day, her parents say, we regret it. Hear what I just said. She was the dream. Skip church on weekends, play softball tournaments, got a Division I college athletic scholarship, and her parents say, we regret it. We wish we would have made church the priority in life. By God's grace, uh, just like in my life, here Bree is um, in church. Again, an exception to be here. Set the precedence now. Make church involvement a priority, not the second or third choice behind a litany of other things that we have to choose from on Sunday morning. So then in the home, parenting, raising up the next generation in the home. One survey revealed that only one in eight teenagers that are churchgoers talk about faith issues with their mom, one in eight, and even fewer with their dad, one in eight. In the Bible, uh, it was understood, right, in, in biblical Hebrew culture, that even though formal uh, instruction was important, the home still remained the primary place for learning. Um, consider 2 Timothy 1.5, when Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Louis, then in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced in you also. Uh, also consider again, Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, teach these things diligently to your children. When? When you're laying down, when you're sitting up, when you're walking, like whatever you're doing, talk about these things. Uh, we need to remember that Sunday school and youth groups didn't exist until the late 1800s. Um, now, while Sunday school and youth groups are great, uh, my job depends on it, um, so I, I'm, I'm a fan, uh, Unfortunately, what has happened is that too many Christian families have passed the primary responsibility of discipling their kids onto other people. Um, one author said it this way, parents should view themselves as their children's first pastor, while simultaneously inviting other church family members to co-disciple their children. So here I think are some good questions for us to ask ourselves and reflect on uh, myself included. I told Megan um, this last week, I said, listen, before, after the service, you 
asked me if I listened to my own sermon. Yes, I did. Um, so I don't want to hear it. Uh, so do we worship together as a family at home? Fewer than 10% of believing families read the Bible together during a typical week or pray together apart from mealtime. So do we worship together as a family at home? Now, uh, you don't have to gather around in a circle and sing a cappella hymns. Uh, some people do, and that's, and that's great. Um, but at least gathering for, together for a few times a week to pray, to read the Bible, would be a great start. Here's another quote from Dr. Ross. Almost every believing parent prays with a toddler at bedtime, and almost none with a teenager. Who needs it more? Uh, before I had my driver's license, my, my dad would pray with me on the way to drop me off from school. Uh, and once I had my license, he would, he would pray with me before I left. And to be honest, there were times at 17 and 18 that I really wish he wouldn't have. Because uh, it was one of those schools like you'd get dropped off like right at the front door. And we'd be sitting there praying and I, I hated it. Uh, it still had a huge impact on me. Still had a huge impact on me. So do we disciple our kids at home. So maybe part of your family worship is walking through a Bible study together. Maybe part of your family worship is uh, just thinking about some different things going on culturally and how the Bible should affect the way we view those things. Uh, there's tons of resources out there for, for those, kind of, those kind of conversations. Uh, maybe we're into, this one's easy, we take, we're intentional about taking some time during lunch after service um, to, to talk about what we all learned. Um, that's a real simple one. If your kids go to junior church, then they get an activity sheet that includes a summary of what they learned in junior church that day. So pick that up, go over it with them. Uh, ask your teenagers what we talked about in youth Sunday school. Um, maybe as parents, we share with our kids what the Lord's doing in our hearts and our own personal time with the Lord. Um, there are many ways discipleship can play out, but that discipleship should play out in the home is not optional. Again, only one in eight teenagers that are churchgoers talk about faith issues with their mom and even fewer with their dad. That should not be so. Um, are we evangelistic as a family? Do we show an interest in our kids' lost friends? Uh, as a parent of a three-year-old, not quite as relevant for me yet. Um, but do we help our kids share Jesus with their lost friends? Could we help by inviting their friends or uh, bringing them to church with us or having conversations with their parents? Um, do our kids sense that we have a burden for our lost friends? Uh, do our kids ever witness us sharing the gospel with somebody? Do they hear us praying for our lost friends? Imagine telling your 16-year-old, six, your uh, hey, I have a friend at work. It's not a Christian. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for me that I would have uh, the opportunity to share and the boldness to share the gospel with them? Um, do we include our kids in church activities that aren't specifically geared towards them, uh, like um, a prayer meeting or um, a church work day or our church's annual time of prayer and fasting? Essentially, do we communicate to our kids, you are just as much a part of our church as I am, or do we kind of separate the two things? Uh, a, lot of, a lot more can be said about this book on book on book on book has been written about 
biblical parenting and discipling children and what it looks like. Um, but I want us to, to land here on the parents' portion of this, is that as parents, God has given us a huge responsibility to raise our, sh- our children in the way they should go. Um, and how we provide for our kids spiritually is, is infinitely, we could even say eternally, more important than how we provide for them in other ways. Um, I think most parents do a good job of providing for our kids in other ways, but the way we provide spiritually is most important and what we will stand before and answer to God for one day. Um, So let's talk about the church. I hope I've sufficiently made the point that mom and dad are the primary youth ministers to their kids. Um, But now I want to talk about how we, as an entire church body, uh, do not get to duck out from responsibility. Um, As a church body, we should be coming alongside parents to help raise up the next generation. So I want to read several verses. Don't look them up because I'm going to rapid fire at you. Um, But I'm going to read these verses to establish the fact that the church as a whole, and especially the local church, is a family. Uh, So the Bible speaks of Christians as children of God. John 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave him the right to be called children of God. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be God, called God's children. Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The Bible also speaks of Christians as belonging to the same household, a word in, that in Greek literally refers to blood relatives living under the same roof. Ephesians two nineteen. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. 1 Timothy 3.15, But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, And then, of course, plenty of verses referring to the church as the body of Christ and the people as members of that body. Just a couple of those. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So, God's word approaches the idea of what the church is supposed to be from many angles, so as to leave no doubt that the church is not a country club where you pay your dues so you can receive the benefits. The church is not a team The church is not an organization you belong to. The church is a family. The church is a family. This is why we take membership so seriously here at Northridge. Because we're not inviting you to be part of our club. We're inviting you to be a part of our family. So it's something that we take seriously and require covenant uh, commitment to. So I think if we could really take a hold of this concept... 
then it's not something we'd really have to work at too hard. Like you don't have to try to teach your child, treat your child like your child. You don't have to try to teach your, your grandchild as your grandchild. Uh, it just is, right? Um, so obviously friendships within the church, they come naturally to those we share interests with. Um, it would be stupid to say that it's wrong to gravitate towards others who are, who are in the same life stage as us. That happens. Um, but what I'm trying to paint a picture of is, is a church family to where, for example, like Wyatt isn't just Travis and Kim's son. Or where uh, Ike and Shiloh and Henry aren't just the Cobra kids. Uh, a church family where, for example, Brian and Lorena look at Bexley and they feel a sense of responsibility for her spiritual development. Um, to come alongside Megan and I, not to co-parent, but to support us. Uh, and I use them as an example because if you've seen them at Kids for Truth on Wednesday night, then you know that they do feel that responsibility. Uh, they do feel that responsibility. Now, we should be aware of the limits of this. Uh, at my last church, I had a guest speaker come in one Sunday and he, he preached on this very topic of discipling and raising up the next generation. Uh, and towards the end, he had kind of a Q&A time. Uh, and one older lady stood up and she said, I appreciate what you said. You're right. Us older people need to do a better job of keeping the young kids in line. Uh, stop running, right? Uh, and the look on the speaker's face was priceless. Like, that is not what I said. Um, so hear, hear what I'm saying, also hear what I'm not saying, right? Um, I, I want to mention this, that last week I, I cited a survey by Lifeway uh, that brought out the percentage of students who stopped being active in church after high school. So in that same survey, they also listed the 10 strongest predictors of students staying or dropping out of church after high school. And here's number one, adults investing in them between ages 15 and 18. That was the number one thing that made it more likely that a teenager will continue being active in a church after they leave home. Um, now, I'm not saying this is not already happening at Northridge. One of the things I love about a small church is, is how much easier it is to foster the idea of the church as a family. Um, I've been at churches where the youth groups were pretty large, and, and a major downside of that is that the youth ministry ends up kind of being shut off and being somewhat of a church within a church, and it's its own thing over here. Um, it's kind of like we, we'll do our thing over here. You teenagers stay over there and do your thing. Uh, at a place like Northridge, that's not an option, uh, and I think that's great. Uh, for example, the last couple weeks when I've been, I've been preaching, uh, call it uh, laziness or whatever, uh, I, I didn't necessarily want to teach Sunday school and preach on the same Sunday. Um, and so we have had the youth sit in with the young adult class. And it's been, been cool the last couple of weeks, not as a permanent thing, uh, but just for a couple of weeks to, to integrate and see, see just from a different perspective. Um, so I want us to think about how this can practically play out. Okay, If the church's responsibility, part of that responsibility is raising up the next generation, uh, how does this play out? And I'll say from the get-go that as a youth minister, a lot of the burden of these kind of things falls on me. Um, but it's not all on me. It's not all on the adults either. Uh, teenagers have some responsibility in this as well. Uh, so in, within church life, it may surprise you, but it's, it's not uncommon 
mostly in large churches, for the youth to have like an entirely different worship service. Uh, I'm not talking Sunday school or like youth group before. I'm talking while uh, the, the adult service is happening here, the youth service is happening at the same time somewhere else. Um, now, that's obviously not a problem at Northridge, but I thought I would mention that so that you don't think that I'm just like blowing smoke about this whole kids are a part of the church thing too. Because uh, when you have a separate like worship service for the teenagers, then what you're saying is, no, they are not. <laughs> um, so kids and, kids and teenagers have to be involved in the life and operation of the local church. Um, I think in, for one example is in our services. Uh, so as both the worship leader and the youth minister, I get kind of double jeopardy on this one. Uh, but I think it also falls on, on the church and parents to encourage it. Um, and even on teenagers to step up to the plate. Uh, when I ask, hey, who wants to read uh, the opening passage this morning? Um, someone has to step up to the plate, right? Uh, so occasionally having a teenager read our opening scripture, um, that's a, a good way for kids to get, or teenagers to get involved. A couple weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Wyatt helped to pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. Um, and that wasn't on me. That was the result of an adult I don't know who, who said, come on, you're a part of this too. You're a part of the church. Um, I think we can all encourage it. I think we can all encourage participation. I think our monthly time of prayer is a big one. Uh, recently, we've been making it a part of our main worship service on um, the, the first Sunday of the month. So it's less of an issue. Uh, but when the prayer service was a completely separate time, children and teenagers were, were rarely there. Um, Possibly they just saw the prayer service as something for the adults. Like that's what the adults do. They do the prayer service. Um, if we sign up to help for something, we make the kids do it with us. Uh, the point here being that part of raising up the next generation is involving them in the life and activity of the local church, not stuffing them in a corner so the grown-ups can do their thing. Um, let's talk a little bit more about discipleship relationships turn with me to titus chapter 2 if i can get there i keep flipping past it small book titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 It says, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Uh, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Uh, so in, gen- in general, what we see is, is a command for cross-generational discipleship. Older men teach the younger men. That's not just dads teach their sons, but older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. Um, 
you don't have to be formally serving in, in youth ministry to invest in the discipleship of teenagers and children. Uh, because you know what's better than mom and dad discipling their son? Is mom, dad, and a 70-year-old dude from church discipling their son. Um, and I get the hesitancies, it's as silly as it sounds, and I've heard this. Uh, to a lot of people, teenagers are scary. Um, there are generational differences. Uh, you probably don't understand their culture. To be honest, at 31, I don't understand a lot of it. Uh, in fact, I've, I learned the other day uh, that Gen Z has a word, chuggy. Am I saying that right? No one knows. Um, it's because you're all chuggy. Gen Z has that word to describe someone who follows just barely out-of-date trends. Uh, and I read an article that like mentioned a lot of things that are chuggy. And it described the fashion, home decor, and interest of millennials, like to a T. Uh, all that to say that like millennials are now out. We're we're in the bubble with with the older generations. Um, so like I get it. But here's the thing: is that generations change, trends change. Uh, remember that until the late 1800s, the organ was the only instrument approved for church. Uh, the pianos were for those heathens at the bar. Um, so truth does not change though, right? The Bible does not change, uh, just because you don't understand the culture or the language or the slang or the TV shows. Uh, in fact, not to call Brian out, but I made a reference in Sunday school this morning. Brian said, who's that? Uh, and we all said, don't, don't worry about it. It's not worth the Google. We promise. Um, but you know, the Bible and you have wisdom and you know the truth, uh, and we can pass that on. I'm not saying walk up to a random teenager and say, I want to build a relationship with you and disciple you. Because uh, then when you say they said no, they hate old people. It's like, no, there's no like awkward people, that's all. Uh, but is, is there a family, a teenager, a child that you already know, that you already have a relationship with, that you might be willing to say, let's go grab a burger, talk about life, see where it goes from there. Um, here's a really easy one is kids for truth on Wednesday nights, uh, during the school year, what a better way to help raise up the next generation than just to set aside just a couple hours a week, just a few, it's not even all year. It's just a few months out of the year just to show up and to serve. What I'm really getting at is, um, just a matter of building relationships across generations, uh, like I already mentioned, we find it easiest to have friendships with people that are like us. Um, I mean, Megan and I spend more time with people our age who have young children than anyone else, and that's okay, but these cross-generational relationships are important. Like, like the survey from Lifeway indicated um, that staying in church after high school, one of the number one factor was the relationships they had with adults while they were still in high school? Did they feel like they were a part of the church or did they feel like they were kicked off to the side? And so when you graduate from high school and there's no more youth group, then what do you do? You don't go to church anymore. That's what they do. Um, so during the welcome time, have conversations with children and teenagers. Teenagers, go talk to a few older adults, uh, be involved in one another's lives. I think it would be really cool to see um, like a whole bunch of people from Northridge show up at a football game on Friday night uh, or a kid's soccer game on Saturday 
Um, or for a young couple to have a barbecue and invite some older folks that they normally wouldn't invite or hang out with. Uh, we have this church picnic and softball game coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, if you don't want to play softball, come anyway. Um, bring a sandwich, bring a chair, just come hang out. I, I would say that I get to know our youth a lot more playing mini golf on Wednesday nights than teaching Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Um, so we could dive really deep into that kind of stuff, uh, what it looks like. Um, just being church life as a, a whole involvement, a whole life involvement in each other's lives outside of Sunday morning. Um, but when it comes to the next generation, uh, it's important. And not just to include them, to make them feel good, like I used to do with my little brother, um, like he tags along with me and my friends, uh, but he's not really a part of it, right? He's just we're, we're making him not feel bad about himself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... Um, to make kids, children, teenagers, whatever, realize that they are genuinely an important part of the life of the church um, because that is one of the many factors that leads to lifetime faith. I'm going to read one more passage out of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. says, what then is Apollos, what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers, You are God's field, God's building. So when it comes to raising the next generation, we plant and we water and we acknowledge with full faith that God is the one who gives growth. But that does not let us shirk our responsibility of planting and watering. Uh, We can't, and I include myself in this, bemoan where the culture is heading while we sit around on our rear ends looking at Gen Z and below and think, not my problem. Where we're at today uh, is not only the fault of millennials and Gen Z, it goes back decades. It goes back decades. I always like to say we didn't raise ourselves. Um, Years and years and years ago, a generation of Christians invested in their young people, then the next generation did it a little less, and then the next did it a little less, and then the next did it a little less, until today's young generation is just left holding the bomb in their hand. It is the fault of a failure of discipleship by parents and by the church over decades. So, raising our own children to follow Jesus is our primary responsibility. It is our primary responsibility as parents. If we've taught our kids how to find a good job, how to work hard, how to raise a family, how to manage their money, but we haven't taught them to follow Jesus, parentheses, regardless of whether they do or not, we can't control that, then we haven't done our job. We have not done our job. If Bexley grows up to be the first female president... Uh, but is not a Christian? Who cares? I'm just the guy that raised the first female president, right? And when we reach that point in life that we've raised our kids 
and we've taught them to follow Jesus, and we've even done the same with our grandkids, we don't get to throw in the towel. Retirement for a Christian just means more time to invest in others. I don't know if you've ever read John Piper's book, and he, he, uh, Don't Waste Your Life, the intro. Probably one of the most famous intros in all Christian books says something about um, he saw a, a brochure for like a retirement community and these people talking about, I just walk on the, on the beach every morning collecting shells. Uh, and John Piper says, what a shame. What a waste. We fight and we plant and we water until we can't anymore. Then hopefully our funeral one day is full of young people who were there not because mom and dad made them go, but because they want to honor someone who loved them and invested in them and sought to leave a spiritual legacy that reaches far beyond their immediate family. Parents, myself included, do your job. Do your job. Raise your kids. You can't control whether or not they're saved. God is sovereign. We can control the discipleship, how much we pour into them. Parents, do our job. Church, do our job in raising this next generation. I'm going to ask Wes to come up. Uh, We're going to spend just a few moments. Um, The altar's open. Um, Time for prayer and reflection, I hope, uh, at least for, for myself. Um, for our kids, for this next generation. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll just have a few moments of, of Wes singing, and, and the altar will be open. God, uh, I pray that you would help us to see um, the importance of, of pouring in and investing our lives into, into the lives of others. God, as parents, um, Help us to commit. Help us to truly grasp that there is nothing more important than the spiritual legacy that we leave to our children. Um, As a church, I pray that you would help us to to see the importance of discipleship and seeing kids who are not our own kids uh, as someone who we need to invest in, that we need to pour into, that we want to disciple, we want to serve. God, I pray that you be glorified above all else. God, but we want to teach our kids to do the same, to glorify you above all else in their lives. So remove the idols, um, remove the idols in our own lives. God, forgive us for the idols that we've placed in our own kids' lives. Remove those as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name.